Hey, welcome everybody. It's good to have you with us this weekend. Thanks for joining us for worship, whether you're joining us in person or online. We're so glad to have you. And as always, I'd like to give a special shout out to all of you folks at our Church Anywhere location meeting in the old Southside neighborhood. I hope you're having a great, great time of worship and fellowship together. What a great baby dedication. Somebody say amen to that. A great baby dedication led by the greatest children's pastor in the world, and we'll now add the best dressed children's pastor in the world. I'm telling you, I've been, he's been here almost 18 years. He said that earlier. And uh, there's been a real fashion evolution happening with uh, our children's pastor, Chris Franklin. It's all so very good. He does a great, great job for us. This is the fourth week of our message series called A View from the Top, where we're using selected passages from the Old Testament book of Numbers to remind ourselves that we're not alone in this life, that God is always with us. He's always at work whether we see it or not, whether we understand it or not. In fact, let me just put some words up on the um, screen uh, that we referenced in the very first message of the series. Just to remind ourselves of this truth about God. Read these words with me. Let me hear your voices. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. And that's the reality of who God is. And we go through the story of life, we just remember that there's an upper story and there's a lower story. We live in the lower story, but God, he reigns, he rules and reigns in the upper story, and uh, we need to trust him in all things, even when we don't necessarily understand what is happening or what he's doing or how he's working in our lives. Now, last weekend, we opened our Bibles to the book of Numbers, and we saw the most familiar story in the entire book. It's the story of how God... Uh, led, or excuse me, Moses led God's people out of the, Israeli, uh, the Israelites out of the, the uh, Egyptian slavery to the edge of the promised land and then sent 12 spies into the land to scout it out before they entered. And you remember that story. Ten came back and said, no way. Two came back. Joshua and Caleb said, let's go. Uh, but uh, the rest of the Israelites were persuaded by the 10 spies with a negative report. And as a result, they didn't enter the promised land. And God said, okay, well, you're not ready. You're going to be waiting a while now. And they spent the next 40 years of their lives wandering in the wilderness, one, day, one year for every day that the spies spied out the land. And during that time, if you remember, everyone 20 years uh, old and older, except for Joshua and Caleb, ended up dying in the wilderness and never set foot in the promised land. Uh, and I, I, I thought the message that Andrew brought about that last week was really tremendous. Sandy and I were gone most of the week. We were visiting one of our mission partners, Pioneer Bible Translators in the Dallas area, and getting an update on our partnership with them. We came to Saturday night church last week, and I took so many notes because there were just so many practical truths to be gleaned from that message. But as we continue this weekend, we find ourselves again in the book of Numbers, and this time chapter 20. And, and to be honest, we find ourselves in a passage that is difficult and disturbing for a lot of people, honestly. Difficult and disturbing for a lot of people. And so, uh, let's dive right into it. If you have your Bibles open to Numbers chapter 20 and you're able, go ahead and stand with me for the reading of the Scripture. If you don't have a Bible, that's okay. We're going to put all these verses up on the screen. I'm going to read Numbers chapter 20, verses 1 through 13. In the first month, the whole Israelite community arrived at the desert of Zin, and they stayed at Kadesh. There Miriam died and was buried. Remember, Miriam was Moses' sister. 
Now there was no water for the community, and the people gathered in opposition to Moses and Aaron. They quarreled with Moses and said, If only we had died when our brothers fell dead before the Lord, why did you bring the Lord's community into this desert and that we and our livestock should die here? Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to this terrible place? It has no grain or figs, grapevines or pomegranates, and there is no water to drink. Moses and Aaron went from the assembly to the entrance to the tent of meeting and fell face down and the glory of the Lord appeared to them. Let me just pause there for a moment and tell you, you probably already know that, but most of the time in the Old Testament when we read the words tent of meeting, it's a reference to the tabernacle, but not always. Because before the tabernacle was actually constructed, what Moses would do is he would go out a certain distance from the camp of the Israelites and he would put up a tent and that became the tent of meeting where he met with God. Everybody get that? Okay. I feel better if I just tell you the whole story. The Lord said to Moses, take the staff and you and your brother Aaron gather the assembly together. Speak to that rock before their eyes and it will pour out its water. You will bring water out of the rock for the community so that so they and their livestock can drink. So Moses took the staff from the Lord's presence just as he commanded him. He and Aaron gathered the assembly together in front of the rock. And Moses said to them, listen, you rebels, must we bring you water out of this rock? Then Moses raised his arm and struck the rock twice with his staff. Water gushed out and the community and their livestock drank. But the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, because you did not trust in me enough to honor me as holy in the sight of the Israelites, you will not bring this community into the land I give them. And these were the waters of Meribah, where the Israelites quarreled with the Lord and where he showed himself holy among them. All right, there it is. You can be seated. We always ask for God's blessing on the reading and the hearing of his word. Now, there are some significant things that happened between Numbers chapter 13, where Andrew preached last week, and Numbers 20, where we are this weekend. So I would encourage you to take the time to read through those chapters. But we're going to focus on this passage from Numbers chapter 20. The first thing that we read in the passage is we read about the death of Moses's sister Miriam here in the desert of Zin. And I want to talk about that for just a minute. Miriam's death was a significant event that took place during the Israelites' journey from Egypt to Canaan or the promised land. And the reason why it was significant is because it demonstrated the reality of what God had said earlier, and that was that the generation of Israelites that refused to enter the promised land, when they got to the edge of it, were going to die in the wilderness, and a new generation would enter instead. We talked about that last week in Numbers chapter 14, verses 29 through 34. And so, Basically, the death of Miriam is important because it is a reminder to us that what God said would happen, happened. And there were no exceptions to what God said, not even for Moses' own family. God said only Joshua and Caleb would survive from the first generation that refused to enter the promised land. He said that in Numbers chapter 14 and verse 30, and that included Miriam It would include Moses' brother Aaron, and ultimately it would include Moses himself. And so here's a question that I think we should ask ourselves as we just begin looking at this passage of Scripture. What can we learn from the death of Miriam? Beyond the truth 
of what I just said a moment ago, that what God says ha- well, is going to happen is going to happen, what else can we learn from the death of Miriam? And here's my answer, so you don't have to think about it, because my answer is right. No one is exempt from the consequences of sin and disobedience. No one, not you, not me, not the most righteous person you know, no one is exempt from the consequences of sin and disobedience. And here's why I feel the need to pause here at the very beginning of the text and say that to you this weekend because there have always been and will always be people who deceive themselves into thinking that they have some kind of a special arrangement with God or some kind of special exemption from God that allows them to sin and not suffer the consequences. And I'm telling you folks, I have heard that over and over and over again as a pastor. Every time I preach a sermon about forgiveness, And what the Bible says about forgiveness, the strong language the Bible uses about our responsibility to forgive others, there'll be someone who says to me, I don't think God expects me to forgive this person because what they did was just too bad. And oftentimes they'll tell me the story. And you know what? The the truth of the story is it was horrific. They were victimized in in a terrible way, but there are no exemptions when it comes to obedience to God. Somebody say amen to that. They're not. They're not any. When I talk to a a, a husband who's leaving his wife for another woman or a wife that's leaving their husband for another woman and they they tell me, well, I really believe that God's okay with this because God wants me to be happy. That's not correct. God is never okay with disobedience and with sin, no matter who you are. You could look at the life of Miriam. You could say Miriam was a tremendous woman. She was a woman of great courage. You remember the story about how when Moses was born and how his mother and father recognized immediately that he was no ordinary child and they were under this edict for all the newborn babies in the area to be killed, to be executed. And so they put him in a basket made out of reeds and they put him in the Nile River. Who was it? Who was it? Who was the family member who stood courageously at the distance and kept their eye on Moses to make sure that nothing happened to him? And when the daughter of Pharaoh himself drew Moses out of the water, who was it that immediately went and became the baby's advocate? It was his sister Miriam. She demonstrated tremendous courage at Moses' birth. Who was it when the Israelites participated in perhaps one of the most significant and most spectacular miracles that is recorded in all the Bible when they passed through the Red Sea on dry land, who was it that got the Israelites and led them in a time of tremendous praise to God for his protection and his provision? It was Miriam. We could go on, but we don't have the time. In spite of who she was and all that she had done, the Bible teaches us that no one is exempt when it comes to being obedient to God. No one is exempt from the consequences of sin and disobedience. And so we need to remember that. Well, if we move on from that part of the passage, the next thing that happens is no big surprise because the children of Israel, the Israelites once again began to grumble and complain And I'm going to tell you that at this point, I'm going to give them just a tiny bit of a pass, just a tiny bit of a pass. And here's why I say that. They began to complain because Numbers chapter 20 and verse 2 says, 
Remember, they were in the desert, the desert of Zin. Numbers chapter 20 and verse 2 says, there was, now there was no water for the community. And the truth is, most people, including probably most of us, would be whining and complaining as well. Imagine that you're in the desert. Imagine uh, the, the dryness, the heat, the discomfort, and then only to discover that there was no water. I'm sure most of us would be complaining as well. But I'm only giving them a tiny bit of a pass because it's not like they haven't been in this position before. In fact, if your Bible is still open to Numbers chapter 20, just go to the left for uh, a second and turn a couple of pages. Let me hear those pages turning to the left and find Exodus chapter 17. And you see that they've actually been in this, or excuse me, no, Exodus, not, I was the number 17, wondering why that wasn't the right passage. It's Exodus chapter 17, like I said. They've been in this position before, but for some reason, they didn't remember that. In Exodus chapter 17, this is what we read, beginning in verse 1. The whole Israelite community set out from the desert of sin, traveling from place to place as the Lord commanded. They camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. So they quarreled with Moses, saying, give us water to drink. Moses replied, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you put the Lord to the test? But the people were thirsty for water there, and they grumbled against Moses. They said, why did you bring us up out of Egypt to make us and our children and livestock die of thirst? Then Moses cried out to the Lord, what am I to do with these people? They are almost ready to stone me. And the Lord answered Moses, walk on ahead of the people, take with you some of the elders of Israel, and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile, and go. I will stand there before you by the rock at Horeb, strike the rock, and water will come out of it for the people to drink. So Moses did this in the sight of the elders of Israel, and he called the place Massa and Meribah because the Israelites quarreled and because they tested the Lord saying, is the Lord among us or not? It's not like they haven't been in this position before. So they had absolutely no reason to question Moses or to doubt the provision of God because he had provided them for them in the past. But in spite of that, their memories get short and their complaints get louder and louder. And verses 3 through 5 of Numbers 20 say, They quarreled with Moses and said, If only we had died when our brothers fell dead before the Lord. Why did you bring the Lord's community into this desert that we and our livestock should die here? Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to this terrible place that has no grain or figs, no grapevines or pomegranates, and there's no water to drink? Let me ask you a question. Can you imagine what it must have been like for Moses to lead this group of people? Let me ask you this question. You ever taken your children on a long road trip in the car? What do you hear? Are we there yet? I'm tired. I'm hungry. I'm bored. And you know, you're trying to do your best as you can, the best you can as a parent. Say, come on now, let's do something to pass the time. Let's play I spy. And one of the kids says, I, I spy good parents. <laughs> or I spy a family in their car on the way to the airport because they're flying to Disney World. <laughs> or something like that. Every time Moses turned around, the Israelites were complaining about something. And so what do Moses and Aaron do? Well, they do the right thing, quite frankly. You look at verses 6 through 8, Moses and Aaron went from the assembly to the entrance to the tent of meeting and fell face down, and the glory of the Lord appeared. And the Lord said to Moses, take the staff, and you and your brother Aaron gather the assembly together. Speak, everyone say speak, speak to that rock before their eyes, and it will pour out its water. You will bring water out of the rock for the community so they and their livestock can drink. Now, those are very similar instructions to the, one God, the ones God gave Moses in Exodus chapter 17, but there is a difference, and we highlighted it. The difference is that he tells, God tells Moses to speak to the rock. He told him in Exodus chapter 17 to strike the rock, but here in Numbers chapter 20, he tells Moses to speak to the rock. He was to take his staff with him. He was to have his staff in his hand, but he was to speak to the rock. 
But that's not what Moses did. Verses 9 through 11, so Moses took the staff from the Lord's presence just as he commanded him. He and Aaron gathered the assembly together in front of the rock, and Moses said to, him, said to them, listen, you rebels, must we bring you water out of this rock? Then Moses raised his arm and struck the rock twice with his staff. Water gushed out in the community, and their livestock drank. But that's not what God told him to do. First, Moses lectured the people. God never told him to do that. Second, he lectured them with an attitude of anger and contempt. God never told him to do that. Third, he inflated his partnership with God. In the latter part of verse 10 in Numbers 20, he said, Listen, you rebels, must we, must we bring you water out of this rock? God never told him to say that. And the fourth thing he did is he struck the rock twice with his staff, and God never told him to do that. And what happened next, as we just saw, is that what, the Lord supernaturally caused water to pour out of the rock so that everyone was able to drink all the Israelites and all of their livestock, but God had some follow-up words for Moses that were probably very difficult for him to hear. Because you did not trust me, trust in me rather enough to honor me as holy in the sight of the Israelites, you will not bring this community into the land I give them. And there it is. And when I say there it is, I'm talking about that. That's why this story is so difficult and disturbing for so many people. Moses, with all of his faithfulness to God, Moses, with all of his obedience to God, Moses, with all the things that God had used him to accomplish, Moses, with the special and unique relationship that he had with God to the point where the Bible says there was no one like Moses when it came to a personal relationship with God. With all that he's doing, with all of his faithfulness and obedience, now God's not going to allow him into the promised land. He's not going to be able to finish the journey that he started so many years before. And while I can be honest with you and tell you that when I encountered this story on a deeper level for the first time as an adult, I found it confusing and I struggled with it personally. I can say with integrity all these years later that I have a much greater understanding of this story today for a variety of reasons. And at the top of the list of why I have a much greater understanding of this story today is, is the truth that God requires the leaders of his people to follow him fully and completely. And Moses simply didn't do that. Friends, the Bible makes it clear that God has a higher standard for people who lead. He has a high standard for anyone who leads on his behalf, whether you're talking about leading your family on his behalf or leading a local church, or a ministry, or whatever it might be, God has a higher standard for those who lead. Have you ever wondered why in the Bible, when we look at some of our great heroes of faith, we're not just told about all of their successes, but we're told about their failures as well? I mean, think about a guy like David, who was such a great man, and was such a godly man, that he's described as a man after God's own heart, and the mighty things God did through him. He's the greatest king in the history of Israel. And yet, we also see that David failed miserably in the middle part of his life when he committed adultery with a woman named Bathsheba and then conspired for her husband to be murdered, even though her husband was probably one of his most loyal soldiers. You get to David's son Solomon, and you see Solomon, a man with extraordinary wisdom and extraordinary leadership ability. Uh, he led the, is the nation of Israel to a time of unprecedented prosperity, but the Bible also tells us that he took numerous wives, and he made the mistake of allowing some of his wives to be foreign women, and he allowed them to turn his heart away from God and toward idolatry. We could 
spend time citing other examples of lesser-known people in the Bible who started strong and had great moments in the in-between times of their life but finished really poorly. And the reason why the Bible includes all of that, it gives us the whole story of all these people, is because it serves as a warning to all of us just because you start well or just because you enjoy some level of faithfulness at the different points of life that you go through doesn't mean that you're guaranteed to finish well. And as I mentioned earlier, no one is exempt from the consequences of sin and disobedience. And so here's what I want to do in the last 15 minutes or so that we have together with our Bibles open, I want to look at Moses' life as we see it here in Numbers chapter 20, verses 1 through 13, and also some other moments of his life. And I want to try to share with you some important truths that we all need to learn and we all need to remember about what it takes to finish well when it comes to our lives of faith. If you're somebody who likes to take notes, we're going to dive right in. Here's the, the first thing, if you like to take notes, write down next to number one. Here's the first thing to learn. Let the stress of life lead you into the presence of God. Let the stress of life lead you into the presence of God. And I want you to look, before we even talk about that specifically, I want you to look back down at your Bible in Numbers chapter 20. I want you to look at the very first few words of, of verse one. Numbers chapter 20, verse one, the first few words. This is how it reads in my NIV Bible. In the first month, four words. In the first month. And the reason why I want to draw your attention to that is because the general belief is that that refers to the first month of Israel's last year in the wilderness. The first month of the final year of the 40 years of wandering. And the reason why we can say that with some level of assurance is because at the end of Numbers chapter 20, if you've got your Bible open there, you can just scroll down and see this. Beginning in verse 22, we read about the death of Aaron. Numbers chapter 20 starts with the death of Miriam, Moses' sister, and toward the end of the chapter, we read about the death of Aaron, Moses' brother. Now, if you fast forward to Numbers chapter 33 and verse 38, this is what you read. At the Lord's command, Aaron, that's Moses' brother, at the Lord's command, Aaron the priest went up to Mount Hor where he died on the first day of the fifth month of the 40th year after the Israelites came out of Egypt. So when this happens, when we read about this event in Numbers chapter 40, Moses has been leading this willful, complaining, grumbling, bad attitude of Israelites for some 40 years. And there were about two and a half million of them. What do you think life was like for Moses? His life was filled with a lot of stress. And his life was filled with a lot of struggle and the need to do a lot of problem solving and the need to constantly console these people in the midst of all their complaints. I can't even imagine the level of stress that Moses lived his life under. I'm going to be really honest with you for a minute and tell you one of the most difficult things about being a spiritual leader. You can't tell anybody I said this, except the people who come to church and the rest of the services because they'll know as well. But one of the most difficult things about being a spiritual leader is the fact that you never get to celebrate any victories and you never get to mourn any losses. 
That's one of the most difficult things about being a spiritual leader. And the reason why is because the needs and the responsibilities are always before you. The needs and responsibilities that you face in a leadership role are constant. And if I were to be even more honest, I would tell you that I would be hard-pressed to think of a time in my ministry life when something good happened that wasn't accompanied by something bad because there are never any compliments without complaints. There are never victories without any losses. There's no joy without some measure of sorrow. That's just the way it is. That's just the way it is. Now think about the last 40 years of Moses' life as he led somewhere around two and a half Israelites out of Egypt to the promised land. And I say somewhere around two and a half because if you go back to Numbers chapter 1 where we started uh, four weeks ago, then we see that the first census that was taken was taken there in chapter 1 and somewhere over 600,000 men were identified as being 20 years older older to fight in the army of Israel now you throw in the women and the children and the elderly and on and on and on it's not a stretch to think there were somewhere around two and a half million people that Moses was leading them was leading but how do you how do you handle this how do you handle the stresses of life how do you handle that level of responsibility and not lose your mind well, you have to live your life in the presence of God. And that's, that's what Moses and Aaron were trying to do at one point in this story. Because after they heard all the complaints and the grumbling of the people, uh, Numbers chapter 20 and verse 6 says, Moses and Aaron listened to those, and then Moses and Aaron went from the assembly to the entrance to the tent of meeting and fell face down, and the glory of the Lord appeared to them. So in other words, they went from the presence of an angry, complaining, and accusing mob of critics into the glorious presence of God. And that simply should serve as a reminder to all of us that the presence of God is our refuge for all of the stress and all of the trouble and all of the disappointment and all of the struggles of life. Now, sadly... I think we have to say that even though Moses and Aaron did the right thing and they, show, they set for us an example in what they did in going directly into the presence of God, they must have not gone with the right heart or the right attitude. Or when they left, they must have not been really changed by the glory of God's presence because Moses went on to disobey God and his instructions. And that's a mistake we need to avoid we can't just think just because i just because i put myself in a position where i i can hear from god or where i can experience god or where i can connect with god means that i'm going to be changed you've got to make sure that it happens in your life with the right heart and the right heart first and foremost is a heart of submission here's the second thing write this down you want to finish well in your life then you need to identify and deal with your personal weakness or sin and maybe you need to make that plural, weaknesses or sins. If you want to finish well, you need to identify and deal with your personal weakness or sin. Uh, Charles Swindoll, who is a well-known popular pastor and author, has written a series of books. This was some time ago. And it was what he called his Great Lives from God's Word series. One of the books was about Moses. And it's interesting in that book that he asserts that Moses had a lifelong anger problem, and that's what led to his tragic failure that we read about here in Numbers chapter 20. And then he tries to, to shore up his 
assertion by talking about how in Exodus chapter 2, when Moses was basically living as a prince in Egypt in the, in the household of Pharaoh, there was a day because his nursemaid was an Israelite. He knew he was an Israelite. There was a day when he saw an Egyptian soldier mistreating uh, an Israelite, a Jew, and what did Moses do? He got angry and he killed him. That's in Exodus chapter 2. You go to Exodus chapter 11, and now Moses is in Egypt once again, but this time he's in Egypt as God's great deliverer. And he's making his case, his plea before Pharaoh to let God's people go, and Pharaoh says no. And Exodus chapter 11 and verse 8 ends like this. These are the words that end that verse. Then Moses, hot with anger, left Pharaoh. Then you can fast forward to now a time when Moses has led the Israelites out of Egyptian bondage and they're in Mount Sinai and he's on Mount Sinai connecting with God and he comes down from the mountain with the Ten Commandments that had been written by the very finger of God. And do you remember what he found as he came down the mountain? He found the Israelites worshiping a golden calf. You know what he did next? Exodus chapter 32 and verse 19 says, When Moses approached the camp and saw the calf and the dancing, his anger burned and he threw the tablets out of his hands, breaking them to pieces at the foot of the mountain. His anger burned, we're told. Well, Swindoll notes that while some of Moses' anger may have been righteous indignation, righteous anger, the bottom line is, is that there's an unchecked pattern of anger in Moses' life. And he says that ultimately that anger is what caused him to disobey God's specific instructions. And rather than speaking to the rock like God said to produce water, he struck the rock twice, which led to him not being allowed to enter the promised land. Now, I know, and I'm sure many of you could say the same thing, that there are some really troublesome things that can come from unchecked anger. But anger is not the only sin or the only weakness that can keep us from finishing well. In James chapter 3 and verse 2, this is what we read. James says, we all stumble, everyone say stumble, stumble in many ways. Now, the verse goes on to say, if anyone is never at fault in what he says, he is a perfect man able to keep his whole body in check. And so he's speaking specifically about how many of us stumble when it comes to our tongues, or in other words, many of us stumble in our lives when it comes to the words we allow to come out of our mouth, because words are powerful. But he begins by saying, we all stumble in many ways. The word that he uses for stumble there in the original language of the New Testament is a Greek word that means fail to do what's right. And so let me ask you this question. I'll ask it to myself. What is it for you? What is it for me that will keep us, that will keep me oftentimes from doing what's right? What is it for you? Maybe anger is the, maybe anger is the issue for you. Maybe a lack of being able to control your tongue and your words is what does it for you. Maybe it's lust. Maybe it's pride. There are thousand upon thousand things that could be the reality for some of us. But whatever it is in our life that causes us to stumble, whatever it is in our life that causes us oftentimes to fail to do what's right, we got to identify what that is. got to confess that as often as necessary and we've got to seek the help of God to overcome it because it will keep you from finishing well. Write down this third thing. The third lesson we learn from the story is you've got to be faithful and obedient in the small things. You've got to be faithful and obedient in the small things. I mean, let's just be honest for a second. 
when you first read this account, doesn't it seem like the Lord is making a big deal out of a relatively small thing? He said, speak to the rock. Moses struck the rock. You know, maybe Moses got confused. Maybe he had a deja vu moment and thought he was just strike the rock again. I don't think that's what happened. But it's easy to read this story and think, God, why are you making such a big deal out of this? But Moses, who was understandably frustrated, Moses, who was understandably at the end of his patience with the constant grumbling of the Israelites, disobeys the specific instruction that God gave him. And rather than speaking to the rock, he strikes it twice with his staff. And as a result, he lost the ability to enter into the promised land. The fulfillment of something that he'd been working on for 40 years in his life. And it's easy to look at that and think, what's the big deal? Why is God being so harsh with his faithful servant, with his faithful leader, Moses, who gave up so much of his life to lead this ungrateful mob of people in the wilderness for the past 40 years. But this is one of those times when we need to remember this one thing. God's ways are different than ours. God's ways are different. In fact, read that with me off the screen. Let me hear your voices. God's ways are different. You look back at the story and God told both Moses and Aaron after Moses disobeyed him, Because you did not trust in me enough to honor me as holy in the sight of the Israelites, you will not bring this community into the land I will give them. And what Moses did was a sin in God's eyes because not trusting in what God says, not believing in what God plans to do denies the faithfulness of God and it denies the power of God and it denies the plan of God. And that's something God doesn't take lightly. When we fail to obey God and his instructions, we don't treat God the way he deserves to be treated as someone who is holy and exalted and above all, the only authority in the universe that he created. And no one, no one has the freedom to ignore God's instructions or commands because we think in this one area, it's not that big a deal. It's so small. It's not that big a deal. Uh, let, me, let me give you a challenge. If you find yourself sometime, you know, thinking, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to read my Bible, I'm going to spend some time in God's Word, and uh, you have the time to do that, I, I, would, I would challenge you to just to do a, a, a study on how many small things you read about in the Scriptures. How many times God mentions what would fall into the category of small things in His Word I think you begin to see that even small things are a big deal to God. I'm talking about a mustard seed. Jesus said if you had faith the size of a mustard seed, it would be incredible faith. Jesus pointed out a widow in the temple who gave two small coins to the offering and praised her above all the other wealthy men who gave much, much more because she gave sacrificially. She didn't give out of her wealth. She gave away her entire wealth. I'm talking about a little boy's lunch of five loaves and two fish. Small things that Jesus used to feed thousands upon thousands of people. I'm talking about the sparrow and Jesus' instruction or teaching that if God 
takes care of the needs of a sparrow, or if God notices when a sparrow falls, then surely he'll take care of yours as well. You do that kind of study and you see that small things matter to God. And that's true, friends, when it comes to obedience. God wants us to be obedient in all things, no matter how small. Here's the fourth thing really quickly. Fourth thing we learned from Moses is you've got to give God the glory for everything. When Moses left the presence of God, when he left the glory of God in the tent of meeting and went to get water for the people, he addressed the people and said, listen, you rebels, must we bring you water out of this rock? He struck the rock twice with his staff and water gushed out, but it wasn't a good look for Moses because he, that's not what God told him to do. And he started off by saying the wrong thing. Must we, must we do this for you? And when you attribute accomplishment to yourself and you don't acknowledge God, then you're denying God. You know what's really interesting to me about this part of the story? What's really interesting is that in spite of Moses' willful and blatant disobedience, what did God do? He still brought water from the rock, right? (laughs) What does that tell us about God? It tells us a lot about the grace of God. In spite of his disobedience, in spite of his arrogance, not doing what God told him to do, Moses stood there and watched the supernatural power of God because God brought the water because that's what the people needed. And what that reminds me is that sometimes, and this I believe is nothing less than a manifestation of the grace of God, sometimes God will grant success in our lives even in the midst of our disobedience because God always has his eye on the need. But don't make the mistake of thinking that God doesn't pay attention and treat serious your disobedience. So what comes to my mind every time I read one of these stories that have been so prevalent for the last few years in the newspaper, newspaper about some dynamic church that's got incredible uh, ministry happening and yet the pastor is caught in years and years and years of some level of immorality or unfaithfulness We need to give God glory in every good thing in our life. Only a fool takes credit for the work of God. Here's the final thing, and we're about to finish. Never lose sight of the holiness of God. Do you want to finish well? Then never lose sight of the holiness of God. Remember, I read this a moment ago after Moses disobeyed God. In Numbers chapter 20, verse 12, God said, Because you did not trust in me enough to honor me as holy in the sight of the Israelites, you will not bring this community into the land I give them. You know, here's what I think happened. This is just my own conjecture. I think Moses took his stress and the burden of the people that he was trying to lead into the presence of God. And when he did that, he experienced the glory of God. But when he left the presence of God, instead of keeping his focus on the glory of God, instead of honoring his holiness by doing exactly what God told him him to do, he got distracted again by the peripheral things, in this case, the people and their complaining, and all the frustration that led to in his life. And when he lost sight of the glory of God, he lost sight of the holiness of God, and he just took matters in his own hands and disobeyed. We need to remember how important it is to always keep our focus on the holiness of God because when we take our focus off of the holiness of God, we put ourselves in a position to fail. 
In fact, let me just ask you this. Have you ever noticed how often stress in our lives leads to sin in our lives? We need to always take our stress into the presence of God, and we need to always keep the holiness of God in our hearts and in our minds. So we need to be so focused on the holiness of God that no matter how great the stress is in our life, no matter how great the challenge may be in our lives, our eyes are fixed on God and God alone. So let me just ask you some questions, and this is how we'll close. Austin and Lindsay and the team can come out and lead us in our final song. But here's my first question. Where do you go with the stress of your life? I mean, there's, there's all kinds of practical things that people do. Some people like to go on a, for a walk. Some people like to Im, Im, immerse themselves in some kind of a hobby or activity that they are involved in. But where do you, where, ask yourself the question, where do I really take the stress of my life in a way that makes a difference? Our answer needs to be into the presence of God. The second question is, what personal weakness or sin is a threat to your life and your ability to finish well? As a husband, for example, what personal weakness or sin is a threat to your faithfulness in your marriage? As a wife, what personal weakness or sin is a threat to your faithfulness in your marriage? What's, what weakness or sin is a threat to your integrity at work? You could go on and on and on. Whatever that answer might be, you've got to confess that as many times as necessary. And you've got to let God help you overcome that so it doesn't threaten your ability to finish well. The third question is, are you actually obeying God in the small things? Or do you have like, you know, this is a good enough for God mentality? Because anything less than 100% is not good enough for God. I mean, his love and his grace and his mercy is always available to us, but his expectation is that we obey him in all things. And the fourth question is, are you giving God the glory for every good thing in your life? And the fifth question is, do you ever forget about or ignore the holiness of God? God wants us to finish well, but it doesn't happen just by accident. And we can learn from the life of Moses. I want you to pray with me. Thank you, Lord, for our time together. In your word, uh, this is a difficult story. Honestly, it is. I mean, it, it's painful. It's a painful story to think that Moses, with all that he had accomplished for you, with all that he has described as being in the scriptures in regard to his relationship with you, failed in such a significant way that he was not allowed the opportunity to finish the journey that he had begun some 40 years earlier. But help us to see Moses' life, this moment in his life, as a wake-up call for all of us to help us make sure that as we go through life, we finish well. That's my prayer for everyone here in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together and sing.